Well, hello and welcome to a special State of Freight edition of the Transfix Take podcast. Now, I have the honor of sitting with two incredible leaders in the supply chain space, our principal economist, Aya Mende Amade, who has come to Transfix by way of the U.S. Department of Treasury and first-time guest, Dr. Chris Caplice, who is the founder and co-director of MIT's Freight Lab, director of the MicroMasters, first ever, if I'm not mistaken, program in supply chain management at MIT, and chief scientist and host of the Freight Vine podcast at DAT. Welcome to the show, you two. Thank you. Glad to be here. So good to be here. Awesome. Well, we have a lot to cover today. So let's start with a look back of 2022. And I want to call a spade a spade. This year has proved that there is no new normal. There's no silver bullet and everything's fair game in the supply chain. So is it a fair question to ask if shippers were better prepared for volatility this year than in, say, 2021 or even 2020? I'm going to say that I think there were portions of this year that shippers were not anticipating. I mean, we saw some skyrocketing rates in January and February, especially in spot that just really indicate, you know, no one was expecting the combination of Omicron delays in, um, you know, ports and all of what was kind of working its way through the system. But if when you say better prepared, you mean like it hurt less? I think for shippers, certainly as we've seen rates normalize for much of the year, that's been much less painful. Um, I would say, though, that, you know, compared to are they prepared for where things could be or how awesome it could be? The faster clip of, you know, seeing RFPs um, is not ideal either. You know, there's people give up um, time that goes into more RFPs and also buying power when you have RFPs happen faster and more frequently. So even though it looks good on the surface, um, I think there's still always room for improvement. Yeah, I would. I agree with a lot of that. I, I would say that the most shippers welcomed the volatility of this year. The market inverted in uh, April. It's been inverted with spot rates under contract rates since April, and it's extending. The gap is actually grown over the last month or two. Um, last time this happened was with the spring of 2019, and that was a, called a carrier bloodbath. We're not seeing as much of that now, but I think shippers are taking this opportunity to retrench and revisit what carriers they want to work with and are going a little deeper to incumbents. But I think to your to your initial uh, point, Jenny, I think shippers are better aware or more aware that they can't just chase lower costs to try to get that back. They they know that the market's going to turn. Um, it's a cyclical market, has been for the last 25 years since deregulation really kicked in. They know it's going to get tight again at some point. They don't want to ruin a lot of those relationships. So I think what's happening is shippers are embracing this market now, stabilizing their rates and stabilizing their carrier base, but they're not chasing lower rates. They're, they're looking beyond the horizon uh, because everyone knows it's a cycle and they're making sure they don't burn any bridges that they can so they can still secure capacity when the market tightens because it will tighten. As it usually does at some point, right? And, you know, Always I do want to go to the to the carrier side of things because another big call out for the year were was obviously fuel prices right the national average closing out november was five dollars and 41 cents a gallon up a dollar 42 from last year around this time now over and adi in addition to that eleven thousand jobs were lost and net new carrier revocations had increased exponentially so i'd love to hear do either of you believe that on this side were carriers well equipped to deal with the price surges of fuel throughout the year well, let me let me start and then you can correct me because you're probably smarter. You're the economist. I'm just a supply chain guy. Um, I, I think it depends uh, on the carrier. If you have predominantly contract rates, then you're being taken care of because most shippers have fuel surcharges. 
with their carers where it's a, they take a 120 base and they get a certain payment for everything above a certain level. And that's been going on since the 90s. And so that covers a lot of contract. The, the carers that face the most challenge for increased fuel prices, especially when it's rapid, are those smaller carriers, owner operators who operate on the spot market because they do not have the fuel surcharge programs. Because strangely, some large carriers actually do better when the fuel price goes up because they get compensated more from the fuel surcharge. And if they have newer, more efficient equipment, then they actually make money on the on the fuel surcharge. So it's kind of a, a tale of two cities. You got small carriers that, yeah, they, they will go bankrupt. They have problems with this for cash flow, things like that. Larger carriers, they're buffered. I don't know. I, I Do you agree or do you disagree with that? I think you really hit the nail on the head. It's all about what direction fuel prices are moving. And if your reimbursement structure lets you benefit from it on the upside. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and so and the funny thing is in the spring, shippers had to rip up their fuel surcharge. They, they print them out on tables. It's a yeah. formula, but they print them out and they had to rip them up when the price went above four and then went above five because no one had those tables before. And so it's it's interesting to see how quickly things are adjusting. And, and, you know, I know I'm kind of jumping the gun here, but do you feel that this this similar situation will happen in 2023? If I could predict fuel prices, I wouldn't be doing this podcast. <laughs> it's a fair point. Um, we can talk about what fuel prices are in fuel futures markets. So the price of diesel has come down quite a bit since last February, and it's expected to continue to fall. Whereas on the gas side of things, we expect to see prices rise. And right now we have this pretty significant gap between the price of diesel and fuel in developed countries like the United States. That's a result of diesel demand being really high, especially with winter around the world and Europe switching more of its um, heating and factory running to gas or sorry, to heating oil and diesel. So that should ease as we come out of the winter. Um, but so far, it's also not been a super cold winter. Actually, Monday's forecast to be the day that's the most cold and it's going to have the least wind power there. So that's one of the things I'm watching to see what happens to oil prices next year. The other thing we can keep an eye on is the fact that um, we just had the EU uh, agree to a cap to the price of fuel, which should help normalize some of the prices globally. But on the other hand, you know, Russia's coming back with a floor on these prices. And if for some reason they decide that they want to respond to these caps by some sort of sabotage or kind of more saber rattling, um, or if OPEC decides to kind of change how much it produces, those are kind of things that could be upside risks to the price of fuel. So not ready to, to call it um, settled yet. And quite a lot of factors that we're looking at to see where we'll end up. Uh, with with fuel prices next year. So we'll keep an eye on that. And you know, I'll bring you back to talk about fuel next year. Um, but, you know, I'd argue that Q2 into Q3 was probably the most volatile time this year with the influx of inventory that reached stateside. And there was a lot of talk about the pressure to right-size inventories by mid-Q3, right before the holiday season. So which quarter, and that's my opinion, but which quarter would you say was the most volatile in 2022 this year? In terms of inventory or in terms of let's Anything let's go broad yeah let's go broad i went uh, in terms of retail inventory but let's let's talk broadly i think uh i would go with q2 because that's when things really flipped because prior to that to what i um i had been saying we hit peaks still if you go back to this time last year 
spot rates were 30% higher than contract rates. Everything was tight and no one had inventory. Shelves were going to be empty. There was all this doom and gloom. And then anyone who studied supply chain knows the bullwhip effect happens. When you have shortages, people tend to overorder, over allocate. And that's what happened. And then now suddenly we're having a, a glut of inventory and we have to get rid of it. And so I think that really pivoted in Q2 when the market flipped and then people started saying, hey, demand might be diminishing a little bit. Um, people aren't buying another Peloton anymore and they're kind of moving to services and services don't generate as much transportation and demand for that. And it doesn't generate as much demand for product. So I think I would go with Q2. That was when people realized, hey, maybe we're going back to normal. We're not, you know, skyrocketing off uh, like a lot of people thought we would. Yeah, Q2 and Q3 is also where we had the most uncertainty as the market's mm. going down. How far is it going to go down and how quickly um, and how is that going to be spread out over the next few months? So that, I think, was a question on a lot of folks' minds during those but, two quarters. But I think ship retailers have pivoted. They, they've reacted to it. I think a lot of people who are not in this space think when something happens, everyone goes in the corner and cries and goes, oh, my gosh, we have too much inventory. What are we going to do? They react. Every every ship, every retailer, every manufacturer has a quick reaction to it. Target would was up front and they started, you know, discounting. And so if you're a retailer with excess inventory, you can get rid of it. You just have to lower your price. The challenge is when you have captive inventory um, where it's whip, it's in process, it's missing a chip, it's missing some finish or something. You can't do anything with that inventory. And that's the inventory that's still kind of locked up and automotive is still kind of there. That's what I'm worried about when you have some captive inventory you can't just discount your price away no one's going to buy a, a car with three wheels right and so yeah, that's, that's the challenge. Totally right or you've got you know holiday inventory from last year that's been sitting for a whole year keeping the price of warehousing um yep. up and also keeping wages up in that sector which is also putting upward pressure on wages in the trucking that's, sector that's a good point so you might have more inventory but it's the wrong inventory all your halloween stuff came in in november right <laughs> yeah that's 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 the challenge that's right. And as a consumer too, I remember I, you and I had spoken about this with, I, I think it was Dean Croak, where we were talking about the challenges that retailers would face around this time, whether or not their inventory was going to, I guess, end up in, in a massive amount of sales. And that's what I'm seeing now is, you know, Cyber Cyber Monday has turned into Cyber Week, right? And and all of these uh, sales have, have uh, I mean, I can get a sale wherever I want at any time, any point in time is great as a consumer. Yep, but yep. You know, it's, Black it's, Friday it's, started on Labor Day. That's right. Exactly. Um, you know, before we move on to 2023, I'd love to know, were there any other Black Swan events that caught you both by surprise? Biggest surprise, um, and not that it was totally unanticipatable, but the biggest surprise was really um, Russia going into Ukraine. That's mm -hmm. had a lot of... Absolutely. Hands down. Yeah, it's had a lot of impacts in terms of um, just, uh, you know, supply chain and the availability of certain kinds of goods, food around the world, affecting prices, affecting inflation. And then of course we talked about oil and fuel prices. So that was something that I don't think most of our sector really could have fully been prepared for, even though my friends who are political scientists professors were talking about Russia building up troops on the border last summer, the last the summer of 2021. Mm -hmm. That that's the one thing I'm going to call out. Other than that, I think this was a year. And Chris, you can disagree with me, but I thought this was a year where, if you were really paying attention, like there was less that you couldn't anticipate 
than when like COVID hit us. Um, yeah. You know, so we're paying it, if, if something's going to go up and really skyrocket, we can expect it to come back down. Um, it's yeah. just maybe a question of how much. Yeah, things regress to the mean. But I was going to say Saudi Arabia beating Argentina in the soccer <laughs> round. But no, I agree with the invasion. I was in the uh, U.S. Army in Germany, West then West Germany in the 80s. And our playbook was to expect Russian tanks coming in exactly how they came. And it was like a flashback 40 years later seeing this. It caught me totally flat-footed. Yeah, they were, I thought it was saber-rattling. But it's had huge ramifications, none of which, which I believe Putin thought would happen. NATO got stronger. You know, it's really interesting, the ripple effects. But that, to me, that's the biggest black swan. I agree with you 100%. All right. Now, Aya, you recently noted that there were some headwinds and tailwinds approaching when it comes to hiring uh, and wages that could potentially absorb truckers in 2023. So we're moving on to next year. Now, according to a recent article on Bloomberg, earnings may fall 14% on mostly flat revenue based on consensus. I'd love to know. Let's start here. Do both of you agree or disagree? Um, I've called out that we should really pay attention to warehousing jobs and also construction and services and other sectors that could potentially attract more truckers if we see continued drop or softening in trucking prices. We're starting to see um, a moderation. Maybe you could call it a weakening of um, of wages in the warehouse sector. Depending mm -hmm. on what data you look at, it's kind of staying the same or coming down a little bit about you know, 0.7% um, in November. Um, but we're also seeing that the price of warehousing space has not come down as much as the other parts of supply chain cost. And I'm really looking to the holiday season to see if all these sales and all these goods that are getting pushed on sale to consumers actually really do a significant um, amount of work to reset how much inventory space is available to kind of normalize that. And if that is what happens, which I think we're you know potentially starting to see, then that really takes this upward pressure on trucking wages out of the equation. Yeah, I, I think we have, I think we're essentially regressing back to the mean. Let's not forget the last two years were peak. Think of what Amazon was doing. They were increasing their workforce tremendously. Everyone was adding on carriers. We had what, over 100,000 new carrier authorizations in 2020 and 2021. It, of course, it's gonna come down. It's gotta come down because that was an, an inflated demand. So I think it's going down. It's decreasing as far as the labor workforce participation. I don't know if it's gonna go below pre-pandemic levels, to be honest. I haven't seen it down there yet. Um, on the on, So I, it's an open, questions because like for drivers the big increase in carrier authorizations were not necessarily a total increase in total capacity it was a shifting from leased drivers to owner operators because they could make money while the while the sun was shining right and now the sun's not shining anymore so a lot of them are going back a lot of them are going to private fleets um so we'll, we'll see I, I think the total capacity will go down but the beautiful thing about trucking is it's so fluid and so a lot of times, a lot of carriers who made owner operators made a ton of money in 20 and 21, the smart ones, they might be right. parking their truck for a couple months and going fishing. That's okay. Yeah. They can do that. Um, if they smart, hopefully they didn't just buy a bunch of trailer homes and boats and things like that. If they, the smart ones who've been there for a while harvested those two years of, of good money and they're weathering out this storm. Um, so I, we'll see how far it goes down. But I think we're essentially regressing back to the mean. And I think we're still above pre-pandemic levels.
Now, you know, the same, Bloomberg also cites that contract truckload rates could uh, follow some weakness in the first half of 2023 with some firming up in the second half of the year. Now, given the lack of motion we've seen this year, where do you think that contract and spot markets will go in 2023? Um, we've seen a lot of motion this year, right? I mean, we've seen a tremendous drop in terms of the uh, of spot. And, and spots dropped. I'm looking at the numbers tremendously from its peak in January of almost four dollars, three fifty. Now it's down to, gosh, two dollars low, a uh, buck fifty lower. And, and contract is coming now. So what I think yeah. what happens is spot is much more volatile. It's a canary in the coal mine. We saw tremendous drops. Uh, contracts lags usually six to nine months, and it's starting to come down now. It's dropped mm -hmm. about fifteen percent from its peak. I expect it's going to continue for another ten to fifteen percent. Um, I think in Q2, Q3, it'll start settling out again. We'll hit our next cycle. That, that's my best guess looking at history. I think we're also going to see, we are seeing this um, timing gap between spot and contract speed up a bit to maybe, you know, three to four months as uh, we have more digitization, electronification, faster responses, more frequent RFPs in our industry. And on top of that, the larger the gap is, the faster that, you know, it gets closed. The other thing I call out here is that, you know, we've had people calling for a recession starting, you know, months ago, calling for it happening now or, you know, late this summer that just passed. Um, there's kind of this like consensus about when that's going to happen that keeps getting pushed out. And that's one of the things, this kinds of false consensus that can happen when economists and analysts are expecting something to happen, but you don't know when. And so six months is just enough over the horizon. Um, we're actually starting to see people, you know, the heads of Citibank, Bank of America, starting to call for the recession really hitting a low more towards the end of next year, this recession that's expected. So I'm watching that space. I think we really don't know, given all the uncertainty of um, the timing of rate hikes, and also now the Fed being uncertain about even calling into question if the 2% inflation target is what they want to stick to or if they want to go to a higher target, let alone kind of like what the right pacing is for that or what's the right point where they're going to know that they're done. All of that uncertainty is like being, you know, in a vehicle that you're driving and you can't see if you're where you are relative to your target. You're watching someone signal you if you're there or not and they're doing it on a lag and you're going to pump the brakes a bunch of times yeah. and try to get there. So I, that's kind of my view of what's going to happen there. Well, to quote Paul Samuelson, uh, economists have predicted nine of the last five recessions, mm -hmm. right? And so I agree with what you're saying. It's so hard to predict, but there's such consensus. It's almost like uh, lemmings. Now we're lining up saying it's going to happen. We just don't know when. So that's, yeah technically correct information, but hard to utilize. You know, it but I think everyone's shippers, manufacturers, retailers are going in cautious to yeah. 23. I think what we've learned because 2018, 2019 cycle was like a learning curve for the pandemic. And I think, you know, second time through, maybe the message has gotten through. Companies are a lot more agile. They're more, they're, they'll switch. Yes, faster RFPs for some lanes, going to spot directly, um, connecting directly using APIs to carriers. I think shippers are getting much more comfortable with uncertainty and variability. They're embracing it instead of waiting for things to fail. So I think we're getting, the, the industry is getting much more adept at handling variability. It's my, my take on it, as I've seen things over the last three years.
I would agree with that on the shipper side for sure. Carriers, I think, are there's there's certainly a lag there that I think this year alone has really force them to be more, you know, to, to really dive into the business acumen of things, especially for those smaller owner operators that have gone out of business, unfortunately, and, and joined a private fleet. It should you know, be I, I, so I think there's, you know, the, the mark truckload market's so weird in the U S it's got a huge long tail. Right. Um, and I think the real big ones and the real small ones are the most, um, flexible, uh, hmm. the ones in the middle are the ones that are kind of stuck for that. In, in my opinion, the large ones, there's a, the, there's a merging, a blending of lines between asset and non-asset based. Every large carrier now has its own brokerage, right? And so it's not like you're all asset or you're all brokerage. It's really blending. And so I think there are a lot of the larger carriers have, have been very clever over the last three, four years. And they're they're also embracing that uncertainty, their capacity stacking, right? And so they're using a little bit of both sides of the market. Now, you know, I'd love to jump into uh, projecting consumption, you know, as, as well we can, right? The Bureau of Economic uh, Analysis is projecting consumption to take another dip by the end of Q4, which is literally right on the, you know, we're right on the heels of it, but then increase in, uh, in 2024. So what do you think are some key indicators that we should be on the lookout for that could change these projections for, I mean, if we're taking a crystal ball out, 2024? I think we have first and foremost got to pay attention to this holiday season. So immediately going into Q4, um, I think we've sort of seen a decoupling of the traditional inventory cycle mm -hmm. where you've got a lot of shipments that come in for the holidays around the fall. And that's a good predictor of how much shipments you're going to have into the holiday season, how Q4 is going to do. With all this inventory that we were talking about that's come in earlier this year, we could see, you know, and also Thanksgiving spending having been um, up almost 11% over the previous Thanksgiving weekend last year, that's more than enough to account for inflation over this past year. So we're also seeing jobs reports that are better than expected. So Q4 could surprise us a little bit on the upside. Um, and then like we talked about going into next year, I think I'm looking at just what's happening with inflation and there my favorite metric is three month annualized inflation measure because it kind of smooths over the noise and tells you you know what's going on but that's a metric um that really dropped a lot from 11 percent in june to two percent in september but then it doubled to nearly four percent in october so it's not like we've settled down on the inflation front and we may continue to see consumers dipping further and further into savings as much as they have available um, going into next year until, you know, whenever the timing of this recession that could be on the horizon hits. Yeah, I, I defer to the economist on this. <laughs> I'm, I'm just a supply chain guy. I, 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 track, I, I try to track the inventory and the demand uh, spending. I, I'm seeing a shift more from... Uh, product to services still, but inflation's taking a, a big hit uh, on, on what consumers can spend. Yeah, makes total sense. And as we go into Q1, you know, uh, I would love to zero in for just a bit before we wrap up on Chinese factories closing two weeks earlier than normal due to uh, US, the U.S. slowing down 
on orders. And, you know, just to give a couple of quick facts here, manufacturing orders were down about 40%. And we started to see order uh, order slow down back in August and October, where it was down about 11% year over year. So normal demand is not really expected to pick back up uh, until the end of Q2, early Q3, as CNBC is predicting uh, in the summertime. But I would love to know, you know, how will, do you think that this will create supply chain bottlenecks? And are we ready for that in January as quickly as it's as it's about to come on our heels? I, I don't think we're going to have any supply chain bottlenecks coming forward. I mean, the number of ships off of LA were like 104 in uh, January of 2022. It went down to zero at the beginning of this month. But the East Coast now has more. And so the interesting stuff here is there's been a shift. Shippers are not stupid. They're adapting and they're, they know there's going to be a port strike probably in 2023. And so they've already shipped some of their patterns to more off the East Coast. And so we're seeing more congestion there. But I think um, I don't think we're going to have too much congestion coming in. The railroads still need to work things out. Right. But I don't see I don't see bottlenecks in the U.S. supply chain. Um, I think it's this will be more balanced like pre-pandemic. Agreed. I think these uh, this timing of this closure right now is timed with sort of when there's been less orders. And so I'm looking into what happens in the holiday season. How does that set up earnings season for mm. uh, companies going into next year? And what kinds of orders are they going to place then? But these things happen on a lag. And so I think by the time that those orders are placed, um, we're going to be past the time for this shutdown. And yeah. also we've had a number of shutdowns, you know, everyone knows how to deal with them, anticipate them. So this should be more subdued both because of the timing and because of the learnings that have happened. All right, well then let's take out a crystal ball for a second if you'll indulge me. And I'd love to break this down by shippers and carriers. So if you could place some big bet predictions on both sides of the supply chain for 2023, what would they be? I'm going to say, you know, on the carrier side, Chris, you really hit the nail on the head with the consolidation that we expect to continue happening, especially, you know, smaller carriers joining larger organizations. This is like the net revocations that are happening. But what that means is that it's a critical time for the matching technology that larger carriers and brokers have put into place to really prove its worth of how much margin savings it can bring as there's kind of this real downward pressure on how much we can squeeze out of margins. Um, this is going to help speed up the electronification, the digitization in our industry. And that's where, you know, I think there's lessons from the treasury market that went through this electronification over the last couple of decades. I expect to see a lot more creativity around how contracts are used and a willingness to kind of adopt that creativity by carriers. So, you know, like if you can guarantee that no more than a certain number of the loads in an RFP are going to be um, delivered during like the tightest seasonal months, maybe we can give you a cost saving, stuff like that. And on the shipper side, I think, you know, we talked about right now, there's a push to do RFPs more often to reduce price. There's a cost to that in terms of staff time it takes to run this. And then also the buying power when you're buying over three months or six months, nine months in reality, when you're calling it a 12 month RFP. So as we see 
more tightening that you know really deepens next year, I think that we're actually going to start to see a reduction in transportation staff at certain shippers. And as that happens, we're going to see with that this willingness to evaluate the net cost savings of running these RFPs rather than just the gross cost savings. And that's going to, again, push towards more creativity around dynamic pricing solutions and things that can kind of be done with less high touch. Um, and we'll start to see more of, you know, uh, acceptance of kind of who whose products are leading in that field, um, that type of thing. So, you know, we're thinking about this because of True Right Plus, it's top of mind for me at Transfix because we've got our product, but I really think this is gonna be a trend that sweeps once we actually feel this economic um, shift happen next year. So, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what, you, what you're saying. I think, um, the big change that's happened over the last two years, it's not just all of a sudden this year, is that shippers, carriers, and brokers, and all intermediaries have realized that every lane is different and that you need to segment and have a portfolio. So the three big buckets that we see coming out, and this happened in 21, uh, is dedicated, increased by 40% compared to 2020. That's going to drop. That's a, because that's a port in a storm. We don't need that guarantee of capacity anymore. But the problem with dedicated or, or private, it's harder. It takes longer to un, unwind that than, say, spot. But we're going to see a decrease in that and more moving the contract. I agree with you 100%. Shippers and carriers have both gotten more comfortable with riding the market. People have finally realized the truckload market, there is no price maker. We're all takers to this market. There's too many players on both sides. And so the idea is that uh, there are certain pieces of your network that should just go out to, to, to ride the market. Analysis we've done up here at MIT as well as at DAT has shown that 70 to 80% of the lanes that a shipper have carry less than 10 to 20% of the total volume. And if you do an RFP, I did RFPs throughout the 90s and 2000s. Um, the thing that drives the cost of running an RFP is the number of lanes, not the number of loads, because you're ma managing lane by lane. And so what we're seeing is more companies are reducing the number of lanes they put out to contract by half, by sometimes up to two thirds. And those other lanes are sparse, kind of infrequent. They're doing exactly what you're saying, Aya, is that they're going to a more of a, an API to ride the market because it's not worth my energy to set up and get a contract that we know the carrier won't even honor anyway if it has two loads a year. So my big bet is for next year, contract rates will drop another 15%. Spot rates will start coming up. The market will flip its inversion in probably Q2 of 2023, and we're going to stabilize. 2023 is going to be more normal. In, in my opinion, but the big shift in the market is exactly what you were saying, Aya, is that everyone's realized there is room for variable pricing and it makes mm -hmm. sense. The biggest challenge that transportation executives have is convincing their CFO, their CPO, and their CEO that that's okay because people have run RFPs as a big Linus's safety blanket. I got a contract right in my back pocket, but as our analysis has shown most of the time, those contract rates, either they don't get awarded, they don't get honored, they don't make sense. So I think a great awakening has come that people are embracing spot, embracing when it makes sense and when it doesn't. RFPs will stay out on an annual basis. You will not go to, that'll retract back, guaranteed. My two Excellent. cents. I love it. I bet these are big, big bets. I love it. Thank you so much, Chris and Aya, for joining me on the show today. I, had, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and would love to bring you back next year to see if we were right on these predictions. Sure. <laughs> All okay. right. Well, All you right. both have a Thank great you. day. Absolutely. Drive safely, y'all.
All views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of Transfix Inc. or any parent companies or affiliates or the companies with which the participants are affiliated and may have been previously disseminated by them. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are based upon information considered reliable, but neither Transfix Inc. nor its affiliates nor the companies with which the participants are affiliated warrant its completeness or accuracy and it should not be relied upon as such. All views and opinions are subject to change.